There are some people that are very difficult to follow um, speaking after. Anna would be one of them. <laughs> I'm really proud of you. That was your moment to really tell the truth. Hopefully you did. Um, we are going to have a little bit of a teaching as well, but I am deeply moved. I am deeply moved by uh, God's provision, God's reconciliation, God's plans. Uh, I, I did not imagine this would be a part of my journey, and yet I am so deeply, deeply grateful. I'm grateful for some of my dear, dear friends um, that are here today, and they just wanted to come to support me. And I often don't know what to do with that. Like, we all like support, but I'm often like, no, 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 only if you have time and this and that. But they're like, no, there's no place you'd rather be. And I want you to know that's a significant part of, of um, who I'm able to be, just because of people like that. So I thank you for that, and I appreciate that. About a week ago or so, um, my wife Lisa uh, came through the door, and she had been to the library. And most of the time when she goes to the library, she comes home with books. That would be a good assumption to make. This day she came home from the library and she had, look what I got. Did you know the Las Gatas Library checks out ukuleles? <laughs> she goes, I got an ukulele. And I'm like, oh, we got an ukulele. And I thought for a second, like, who plays the ukulele? <laughs> Nobody. And she said, oh, I might learn some songs for my kindergartners. Which last night she was playing one. It was happy birthday, but my daughter thought it was great as thy faithfulness. So we have a little journey to go. But she put down the ukulele, and I, I, uh, one day she was away at work, and so I, I found on YouTube some of those play-along songs. And years ago, I'd played the guitar somewhat with the youth groups and stuff, so the ukulele felt familiar, much smaller, two less strings. The chords were entirely different, but it still felt familiar. And I, throughout the day, I would practice these different songs, and I'd sing and would, you know, with them, and I would turn you two up really loud so it was more them than me, but I felt pretty confident. I always feel pretty confident, and I really shouldn't. Lisa came home that night, and I said, would you like an ukulele concert? <laughs> she was so kind. She's like, wow, this really sounds like music-y. And I'd sing to her, and we played, and it was this joy. But the point was, even those interests, those, the little bit I could do, it was because there was some familiarity. Last night, I auditioned for my daughter and for Jacob for their wedding. They weren't as kind. <laughs> I thought, you're getting married in Maui. It just brings us back. But there are certain things around familiarity. It's like, I've experienced this. I can do a little bit of that. But there's also a part of familiarity that actually really works against us. Because we can become so familiar with people, we can become so familiar with things, we can become so familiar with God that we actually close our inside because we think we've got it under control. Familiarity can remind us and give us kind of a breath of fresh air and fresh life. But sometimes familiarity can turn into comfortable, which is good, but it can turn into complacency as well. I see this happen sometimes even between relationships, some of the closest relationships that we become so familiar with each other, we no longer try. We're no longer intentional. The conversations drift from 
really speaking into each other to drifting into like how was the weather today to just assumptions. And sometimes there can be so many unspoken things that we say or unspoken expectations that we have and we start to become continually disappointed because of familiarity. Familiarity can remind us to move us forward because it reminds us of good things, but familiarity can also dull us, numb us. There's actually a really tragic story I find tragic in the New Testament around the familiarity of longevity, of longevity of knowing someone, and it had to do with Jesus. It comes from Mark's story of the life and teachings of Jesus as he recorded what we now call chapter 6. It says this, Jesus went to his hometown, which you think would be a really exciting thing to do. I'm going home. Accompanied by his disciples, his new closest friends. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They said, where did this man get these things? They asked, what is this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? There's initial response and words, and they're like, man, we knew this guy. Where is this coming from? There was this amazement, and they even mentioned How's he doing these amazing things? But then the doubt, the doubt that was caused by their longevity of knowing him from the time he was a kid, the familiarity started to numb them. They start to spiral. They start to doubt. They ask these kinds of questions. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of Jesus, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't even his sisters here with us? And then they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives in his hometown. Then there's this phrase, He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. There's a couple of phrases I just found startling in that story. One is, He couldn't do anything there miraculously except touch a couple people and heal them. That's just kind of thrown in there. Most of all, we're like, wait, there was a healing going on? Which implies how much more could Jesus have done if people allowed them internally to do? I mean, if we had a couple of touchings and healings, we'd be like, oh my gosh, this is the biggest thing I could imagine. To Jesus, it was kind of a touch going out of town. And the second thing that jumps out to me and it makes me cause me to go inward myself is he was amazed at their lack of faith. As they were amazed at the wisdom of his words, he was amazed at their lack of faith. That come from an, a familiarity of Jesus. That came from his longevity of knowing him. And I can't help but ask ourselves, is being around people of God and around God so much that we've become familiar, that we've become numb to the things that he really wants to do. It was a place that lacked faith. And like the prodigal son's older brother, they were both lost without ever actually leaving home. Their familiarity of him led to their response to which he which communicated to him, you know, Jesus, you don't really have what can meet my deepest longings. They would not allow him into those inner places, those places where real healing takes place. You see, our mind can get us so close 
but our heart needs to come along. Author Thomas Kempis, in his classic book, Imitation of Christ, writes this. A humble understanding of yourself is a surer path to God than the deep inquiry into knowledge. And C.S. Lewis, talking about his own journey in his book, The Weight of Glory, writes this. It is only when I began to pray, to pay attention to my heart, the longings for something I did not have, that I was led to the awareness of my deep longing for God. You see, the work of the heart can be easily ignored because we have this ability to close up. We all do. I do. Sometimes it's because we go through the motions because things feel so familiar. Sometimes we go through the motions because we've already heard certain things. Becomes we work under assumptions and we close up and protect because we realize that if we really open up our hearts, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes there's tears. Sometimes people see things that you've been hiding for years and years and that I hid for years and years. But when you do the work of the heart, there's life on the other side of it. It's easier to posture from this place of confidence from a crowd who believe their stance is justified instead of humbling and allowing what we really need. Reconciliation with each other, reconciliation in your home, reconciliation with friends, those who you're struggling with. And through his amazing kindness, Jesus gives us a roadmap so that we all know what's really going on inside of our hearts. There's times I would say things jokingly and I'm like, wow, where did that came from? Jesus tells us. Matthew 15, he says this. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these are the things that defile them. How tragic would it be if we drifted into these unhealthy, unhelpful kind of familiarity where things just don't matter, that the things that are coming out of our mouth don't point to a bigger issue of our heart. And then we find other people that have already come to the same conclusions, and so we don't really have to deal with it because there's others reinforcing our train of thought and the words that we say. Familiarity scares me at times. Have I come so numb to the things that could challenge me? Have I become so comfortable with the things that I already believe that I stopped learning and listening? Have I become so familiar with the rhythms of church? And have I become so familiar with the rhythms of my marriage? Have I become so familiar with the rhythms of friends that it just start to wilt? You see, outwardly, I can put on a show. I can put on and say that this is you respect me, my reputation. Because when our reputation is that which we strive for, our character does not get developed to the point that we need it to actually sustain the pressures of this life. So I ask myself in front of all of you, am I focused more on my reputation or my character? One runs out, one will hold me. 
you ever become so familiar with the rhythms of how things are that you've actually not allowed your heart to be penetrated anymore? The Apostle Paul identifies that all needs to start within us. Even in the midst of struggle and opposition, it starts inside. Paul's letter to the people of Philippi, and this is what we'll be talking about for the next few weeks, but he says this charge. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To summarize Paul's words, he's saying that we should have a distinct correlation to respond to what we receive. We get exhausted when we're receiving one thing, but we're trying to behave a different way. Paul says, if you truly have received Christ into your life as he's poured himself out to you, it should show up in how you pour out to other people. Because another one of the great reflective ways isn't just the words of our mouth, it's the actions of our lives. And if you reverse engineer that, what I just did, what I just said, how I just behaved, where did that come from? I think we all need to do that a lot more. That I'm not just repeating the words of I heard of the political party that I embrace. I'm not just hearing the words of the editorial of the person on the news or the quote on Twitter or the trending on Instagram. But the things that I'm saying, I can identify where this is coming from and it is good and it is right and it is pure. Paul says the condition of your heart should be resemblance of what has been deposited there from God. The challenge we see is this, is that we have a generation of people deconstructing their beliefs. And I don't think it's because their beliefs are wrong, but because they've never actually seen those beliefs lived out in a loving community through commitment and sacrifice. We are not called to pretend or called to live out that which God has put in us to be okay with people's doubts. Because this should be a place where doubters find faith and people of faith can express their doubts. That's when we're doing something. And this all starts in the inner space. The questions that I've asked myself over this past month include, what have I allowed to take residence in my inner life? My inner life, the place where God wants to be, what else have I invited in? I ask myself, is there a lie that's replacing a truth 
I ask myself, what have I added to what it means to follow Jesus? One of the things that we're seeing of young people or people whatever age who are kind of deconstructing their faith, they're really not deconstructing their faith in Jesus. They're deconstructing all the other things we've attached to what it really means to follow Jesus, the purity of it, the simplicity of it. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus. It's there. And what can feel like an overwhelming weight, my brothers and sisters, that's what the enemy wants you to feel. The truth is this, it's not overwhelming weight, it's an inner life filling. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, by Parker J. Palmer, he writes this, and I want you to really hear this. When I give something I do not possess, I give you a false and dangerous gift. A gift that looks like love, but it is in reality loveless. A gift given more from my need to prove myself than from the other's need to be cared for. That kind of giving is not only loveless but faithless, based on the arrogant and mistaken notion that God has no way of channeling love to the other except through me. Yes, we are created in and for community to be there, to be, to be there in love for one another. But community cuts both ways. When we reach the limits of our own capacity to love, community means trusting someone else will be available to the person in need. I'm standing before you as your pastor saying there is an end to how much I can give and I'm asking you to help me. If I become the conduit of God's love for everyone, there is an end to that. We we need to be the conduit of God's love. When I'm tired, I'm going to tap and say, I need you to do that. To be a community where people see love actually lived out. I believe every time we gather, we need to respond. There should be some kind of response. We're going to do that this morning. Often in churches, we have a response time just for those who may not believe, who want to believe. That is so limiting. We need a response time for all, for those who believe and those maybe who don't yet. And this is different if you've known me for a long time. I think I look so much at like the tangible things, I've come so in tune with what the Spirit means to me. And a huge part of my life is the posture I take. And I've learned that my body posture can actually help my heart's reception. I want to invite you into something right now if you choose to. It's something that I do. And if you come sit with me in my office and talk, we will do this together. If you're willing, if you would take a posture of receiving, not from me, but a posture of receiving from God. Open your hands in a posture of receiving from God. For some, it helps if their feet are on the ground. This isn't anything mystical. This is just openness. As you would open your heart to somebody you love and care for, take a moment to refresh your mind. Let me read you these words from Psalms. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. 
Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face, O God, from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Just breathe a little bit. God gave you that ability to breathe. It's his breath. It's his air. Identify some anger, some frustration or disappointment that's taken residence maybe inside of you. I find this one of the quickest answers God gives me. What's there? He shows me. Simply ask God, take that from me. Ask God for something new and fresh to be planted there. Think about maybe what have you been longing for? And if you're honest, maybe you believe that God is somewhat obligated to provide this for you. Take a moment and ask him what he wants you to do with this longing It could be in a relationship. It could be to be married. It could be for a job. It could be anything. Ask God, God, what do you want me to do with this? And finally, thank God for the things right in front of you, around you, the most obvious things in your life, even if they feel trite, just thank God, thank you for this. Amen. That's the work of the heart, the posture of receiving God into places. And secondly, we're gonna respond with our feet. The rhythms of church is to do communion together. The rhythms of Christians during a season in life where so many people eat and drink to forget, followers of Jesus eat and drink to remember. And something that I find so important is that communion is not designed for people to come and take. It's not something for you to possess. It is something for you to receive. It is Jesus that identified, this is my body, this is my blood, that I have poured out for you to receive. When we take a posture of like, this is something I need, we're actually working against the gift that God gave us. To practice that posture, I'm gonna invite our elders to come up who are gonna help us. And I know that during this time, there are some who can't make it up front. Please identify yourself. And Pastor Lamar, I believe, or one of the elders will also bring this to you. And the difference of maybe the rhythms of this, where we often just come and take, is that I want you to come and open your hands to receive. The elders will hold the cup and the bread, and they'll give you a reminder that this is the body and blood of Christ that he poured out for you. God bless you. And then just receive. Go back.
to your chair, have the, the bread that represents his body and the cup that represents his blood of salvation. It might take some time because we'll be in line, but the moment of blessing is real as we do this well together. So come receive, come forward, and let's really commune well together the body and blood of Christ.